Welcome to Tights Camera Action, the comic book movie podcast hosted by people who are not comic book movies. Uh, <laughs> working on it. Uh, my name's Owen Mandenberg. I'm joined by my co-hosts, uh, Stephanie Kachias hey. and Kyle Sharia. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle Sharia. We've been getting his name wrong all the time. We only just found out last episode. Hey, listen to our back catalogue if you want to hear us get Kyle's name wrong. Yeah, we're going to introduce plot threads now and a bit of continuity from exactly, episode to yes. episode. I know. You can't just jump in anymore, guys. There's a lot of, ba- there's a lot of uh, serial backstory. <laughs> Um, so today we are going to be discussing the most recent Fantastic Four movie, or Fant Four Stick. Fant, yeah, Fant Four Stick. That's it. Yes. Yeah. Now this was your choice. It was. Look. uh, Oh boy, I, I. To be honest, this movie was one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast at all. Like I've been waiting to do this movie because it's um, basically I have a mild obsession with it. I think. My second bedroom is very much similar to Matthew McConaughey's storage container in True Detective uh, Season 1 in terms of trying to piece together the forensic, um, the, the timeline and the sort of what went wrong in Josh Trank's Fantastic Four 2015 starring Miles Teller, Kate Mara, Michael J.B. Jordan, Jamie Bell and Toby Kebbell. How did we get this far? Human beings have an immeasurable desire to discover, to invent, to build. Our future depends on us furthering these ideas. Responsibility that rests on the shoulders of generations to come. But with every new discovery, there is risk, there is sacrifice. Be ready for what's coming. What is coming? The answers. I need to understand what happened. Because it's breaking my brain. Um, I think it broke Josh Trank's brain as well. I think he, maybe his brain was already broken, and that might be that might be one of the it was, reasons. It was cracked, but then it shattered. Yeah. Well, I've been doing some research about this movie, so it was. Um, I'm just going to quickly bring this up. It um, it was that. Was, so it was in development to do a re- reboot for a little while after the. After the uh, the ones in the early two thousands, starring Jessica Alba and the future Captain America, Chris Evans, Michael Chiklis, <laughs> Chris Evans as a very good Johnny Storm. Um, so that they, those movies had come out and had not been great hits. And in fact, I mean, has anyone ever done the Fantastic Four well? 
I mean, there was uh, the Coleman. Yeah, Roger Coleman. <laughs> did it. Uh, we can't exactly hold that one up as some sort of... But, I mean, Rise of the Silver Surfer, as essentially a kid's movie, is kind of fine. It's like... It's just basically like The Incredibles, but with real actors instead of animated. And, you know, it's half-decent Silver Surfer in it. Uh, it's It's actually, like... It's it's not a great movie, but it's a hell of a lot better than the 2015 one. Well, it's interesting you bring up The Incredibles because, like, I mean, I've got to really disagree with you that it, <laughs> that, it, that Silver Surfer is anywhere near as good as The Incredibles. That no way because that, that The Incredibles is my favorite Pixar movie, and I've often said that's the best cinematic Fantastic Four you're ever going to get. Mm, so that's yeah. true. I agree with that. Yeah, because they're actually a family. They you know mm. they 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 actually get the dynamic of the Fantastic Four a lot better than than I think you're ever going to manage in a live action movie. And I don't know if the Fantastic Four is really ever going to translate well. To live action. It, it's something we discussed too, like about so it's sort of similar to Superman in that these early comic book uh, franchises, like I mean, like they're one of them. Like the Fantastic Four is one of Marvel's earliest franchises, right? Yeah, it's like it's like the prototype for the other Marvel comics. So it was their first big success in yeah. the sixties, and then everything else kind of sprang from that. And they were the first super team. You know what I mean? Like, they were the first super team, like, where it was more than just one, like, one person. It was, like, a group of different powered people working together. And, yeah, they have a lot of history. But I think, um, yeah, with, with these earlier characters, they're not as well formed. And there's something a little bit hokey about them, similarly with Superman, that it's it doesn't necessarily translate well to film because it's so it's so of its era that how can you really tell a story about a guy who stretches and, you know, his wife and her brother? You know, like, it's just, there's something a little bit... It's it's kind of like one of those old TV sitcoms uh, where you look at it now and you can see how, okay, it was probably, like, good for the time, yeah. but it's just not really funny anymore. And Fantastic Four kind of fits into that mould where there have been some really fantastic Fantastic Four comic book stories... Uh, but trying to graduate it to the big screen, it's a bit of a, an uncomfortable fit because they are a bit of a relic. And they work better when they're weird. And mm. I, think, I think the Hulk is a bit like this too, where some of the best Hulk comic book stories would be really hard to make on film and same with Fantastic Four because the, the, they offer a lot of potential to get really weird and that's when the stories get really interesting. But then it's a lot harder to sell that to a cinematic audience. Mm. So yeah, I think that's where it kind of sits. But... Um, and you could kind of see Josh Trank wrestling with this with the conception of his 2015 movie where it's like, okay, so the whole science family thing where there's kind of like, you know, the Brady Bunch yeah. in space with like this nuclear family that gets powers, that might not really, that might be a bit too hokey for modern audiences. So it's going to age them all down and kind of make it a bit darker and a bit more serious in tone, a bit more grim. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you can see that he's, he's really strived to get away from the comic book roots. I mean, there's a lot of comic book movies that will just like sprinkle in the Easter eggs all over the place. Uh, none of that in Fantastic Four. There's no Stanley cameo. There's no sort of nodding and winking references to... Do you think this was the one where Stan Lee finally went, you know what, I'm good. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> you know what, I think this might be a bit contrived. Yeah. <laughs> and when Stan Lee says yeah. that, when, when it's too weird and too hokey for Stan Lee, you know that something's wrong. So just as a bit of backstory, 
Okay, guys, setting the scene. When there's been a murder, you need to kind of, you need to first find out where everyone was at the scene of the crime to begin with and also start to develop motives. So that's what we're going to do with this. We're going to take a quick step back. In um, 2009, Fox announced that they were going to reboot it and they were talking about lots of different things. Akiva Goldsman was going to produce and they had people like Adrian Brody potentially going to be Mr. Fantastic and Kiefer Sutherland as Ben Grimm maybe (laughs) but that didn't quite come out and then in 2012 Josh Trank who we've mentioned who is the director of this movie um, was hired to direct and he was hired to direct off the back of a huge low budget hit much like sort of um, the Cloverfield was like that and um, Colin Trevorrow with with like um, uh, Jurassic World and Safety Not Guaranteed. These sort of low budget movies that um, uh, that studios find and pick up and then say, hey, you're going to now direct this tentpole picture. And Josh Trank's movie was called Chronicle and it was about these teenagers that... Uh, get superpowers, but it was a found footage film and it was very low budget. And I think Michael B. Jordan was in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, and Dane DeHaan was in it. And it was sort of his breakout role. And uh, yeah, so there was a lot of hype around this young director, Josh Trank, after Chronicle, um, because it was quite a cool little movie that that did really well. And so he got hired. And originally, um, he was kind of hinting that it was going to be very much... Uh, inspired by Chronicle, that it would almost be not like a Chronicle sequel, but almost like a Chronicle graduation of what the things that he was trying to achieve in that movie, which was very dark and very sort of like, yeah, gritty, you know, see superpowers in like a very real light um, and take that to the Fantastic Four franchise. And to be honest, I wasn't, I didn't hate that idea necessarily, mm. only because spe- as well, like kind of like what we've seen with Batman there are two extremes. There's like the, the kids' movies of the ones of the early 2000s. And it's like, okay, well, if I guess they didn't quite work, you might as well try the other way. Um, he also started saying things like, it's going to be heavily, heavily influenced by body horror and David Cronenberg, which also got my, um, got my interest going because I really love David Cronenberg. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool. Like this idea that... Um, we, which we haven't really seen in superhero movies before is this idea of something's happening to my body and I don't know how to deal with it. It's that, terrifying. And it's exactly, and it is. Yeah. And it would be. And I mean, yeah, so we'll get into that in a minute. And the Fantastic Four's powers, they're very physical and visual. Yes. So it's not like the Avengers where everyone's just kind of really Thinking. strong. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, Captain America, they're, they're all just like big muscly dudes essentially. With, with Fantastic Four, you can see their bodies kind of like changing in, yep. in different various in various ways so yeah you can see how that could lend itself to a really creepy interpretation yeah so that was his idea and then uh, in january 2014 the simon kingberg who is a key player in this producer and screenwriter finished writing the script and uh miles teller a young really 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 charismatic actor was um was hired to play uh reed richards and he's best known for whiplash his tempo sucks <laughs> was he dragging or was he rushing <laughs> what i know is that he doesn't fucking know and that's the worst <laughs> part of it uh that's right kate mara uh was hired she was they were also looking at saoirse ronan margot robbie and emmy rossum saoirse ronan would have been good She's good in pretty much anything, though. She's well, that's right. Yeah. What? Who? Sasha Ronan. Sasha Ronan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I reckon that would have been better. I've got a real thing about Kate Mara. She's sort of 
Kate, both Kate Mara and so Kate Mara is Rooney Mara's sister, right? Their dad is like the owner of a football team. Like they're incredibly rich. Anyway, just saying. <laughs> Are you a Mara trooper? I'm not. <laughs> Maybe, guys, just, just guys, Google. Follow the money. Yeah. Follow right. the- <laughs> and um, and then Michael B. Jordan, who was in Chronicle, was cast as Johnny Storm. And that was a big thing. The great thing about the, the slow motion kind of fantastic car crash that was this movie is that even the racists who were against Michael B. Jordan's casting purely because he's black. Yeah. By the end of it, they were like, well, that's not even the biggest problem with this movie anymore. Yeah. Like, we've got so much more to talk about before I even get into how black people shouldn't be portraying white characters. And they're like, I mean, I've got I've got three pages of notes before I even start yeah. on like Michael B. Jordan. Yeah, and actually, surprisingly, I remember like we watched this together, and and you brought up that I and I didn't rem- I forgot this that he comes into the movie really late. Yeah, like he's like twenty five minutes in, and you said, "Where's Johnny? I want to see Johnny," and I was like, "Yeah, shit, where?" Where is he? Like it was like a good 20, 25 minutes mm. in before we even meet that character. Yeah, because they set it up at first as it's mostly about Reed and Ben's yeah. friendship. And then Ben is just gone for like 20 minutes. Yeah. And then, then they go, oh, by the way, you should just come hang out. Yeah. And oh, yeah. By the way, there's this other pretty major character. Yeah. So he and Sue Storm, are, are they're definitely um, brother and sister. But Sue is adopted in this scenario because their dad, Franklin Storm, is played by a Reg E. Allie? I've forgotten his name. Sorry. Keep talking. <laughs> it's Callie, isn't it? I don't know. He's um, the dude from House of Cards yeah. in the Wire. Yeah, the it's ribs Reg- guy Reg- from House e- of Cards. Oh, Reg E. Kathy. Yeah, I was right. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for backing me up, guys. Well, I didn't know either. Okay. You and should then... have been the voice of the thing, by the way. <laughs> me? No. Oh, I'm he Reggie. should. Sorry. I should have been the voice of the thing and I nearly hate you. Give, give us an It's Clobbering Time. Just, just one. It's Clobbering Time! Love it. Thanks. Action figure coming out soon. That's right. Um, Toby Campbell was cast as Victor Von Doom. Also not a bad casting. He's a really talented young actor. But uh, we'll, get to, we'll get to the problem of Doom in a moment. Jamie Bell uh, as yeah. uh, Grimm. Yep. And, uh, and that was it. Who was Sam Riley, Eddie Redmayne, and Domhnall Gleeson were considered for Doctor Doom as well. I'm looking at this as I speak. Yeah, so like, obviously casting very young. Um, but when we first watched the movie, we realised that not only are they casting young, but we're meant to believe that Miles Teller and Jamie Bell are 17 years old in this movie. Yeah. Well, should we jump into the yeah, recap we should. now? So, so, so that's some backstory. That's how it got started, and then production started about at eight, uh, yeah, in the middle of 2014, and uh, and that's when things started to go wrong. But we'll now let's cut back and forth the synopsis, and let's try and figure out what what happened uh, that was such a disaster on this film. So yeah, it starts with um, a flashback to when Reed is a little kid. The little actor playing young Reed is terrible. I found him to be quite... The little kid playing um, Ben was okay. He sort of had a, a look on his face while he was acting, so that was something. The little kid playing Baby Reed was just, like, blank the whole mm. time. And I don't know, maybe he was told, you've got to be, like, impassion- dispassionate. But, um, yeah, he was terrible. Um, Homer Simpson played yeah. his, played his uh, teacher. It was such a, an odd teacher as well, because yeah. he kind of had this, like... So it's show-and-tell in the class, or 
all the kids are getting up talking about what they want to do when they grow up and all this sort of stuff. And Dan, what is it? Castel... Castellan... Castellina? Dan Castellaneta. Well... I'm just going to call it. So Dan... <laughs> Dan <Yes>. Scherer. Uh, <laughs> so Dan is the teacher and he's just like taking a huge dump on all of their dreams. Yeah. Like Reed gets up, he's like, I want to become a scientist. And he's like, scientist, forget about that. And he's like being like really unnecessarily kind of mean about it. Uh, also, another thing we should mention that's happening in that school is they are definitely going to get metal detectors soon after that show and tell thing because little reed is getting up in front of class and is talking about like weird science stuff and his books are full of like the scrolls of madmen yeah. and he's kind of sitting off by himself uh talking about all these things he's going to invent and yeah there, there's going to be there's going to be some very concerned uh parent teacher i have a feeling meetings, richard dawkins is going to maybe tweet about it yeah about this kid who's building something at a school and maybe that they should call the cops. Anyway, so there's... Yeah, so poor little Reed is is belittled for his um, believing that he will one day transport things. Oh, he says he's already done it. Oh, he's, oh that's he's right. already so, transported yeah. matter, uh, but he just needs to upscale it. Yeah, exactly. And to upscale it, he needs a power converter. I don't know what a power converter is, but apparently he can find them in the Grimm junk, junkyard. Yeah. And baby Ben Grimm finds him after being bashed up by his mean older brother who says to him it's clobberin' time. That's where he got his catchphrase. That's where he got his catchphrase from. For his from abuse. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah it's That's like... where all your favourite heroes get their catchphrases from. And uh, and he bumps into Little Reed and he's like, hey, I know you. You're from my class. And he's like, I need a power converter. So they grab a power converter uh, from, from, the, from, I guess, a car and uh, take it to Little Baby Reed's... Um, garage where he has a little trans transporter and they do a little experiment and wipe out all of the power i'm so sick of that happening in movies where someone does an experiment and then it just cuts to a really wide shot of yep. the neighborhood and all the lights start going out and it's just been used so many times now okay let's that's okay problem number one with this movie and we're gonna start a tally <laughs> problem number one is that yeah there's a lot there's a real lack of originality to some of those storytelling devices. Like you just you just mentioned one and there's gonna be heaps of them that come up. There's no um it's lazy. So even the parts where it kind of you can sort of start to see glimpses of goodness, and there are a couple of glimpses of goodness in this movie, but it's really outweighed by some pretty major problems that we'll get to. But one of the more sort of subtle problems that flows through it is this concept of like what you just said, like really unimaginative storytelling everything devices. in it has just been it's been, been chewed done before. to death it's like it's just it's, it's pulled together from all these pieces that are just so familiar that nothing in the film except one or two sequences really really stand out or really make you pay attention and yeah. I mean a certain amount of shorthand is fine and cliches are kind of unavoidable sometimes exactly but every element that makes up this movie was so overused that it's it's actually quite a struggle to to pay attention to it sometimes. Yeah, mm. yeah totally. So, uh, so he he wipes his he wipes out the neighborhood power, and including he pisses off his stepdad, played by Tim Heidecker. <laughs> you got like seventh <laughs> billing. Right. You got like seventh billing in this movie. He's yes. like he's like before the credits, he gets his name, and he's got one scene, and it's Tim Heidecker from Tim and Eric. Hmm. It's really weird. Anyway, 
Then a, a title card comes up and says seven years later. And this is, okay, number two big problem is this idea that Jamie Bell and Miles Teller are 17 years old because they look not a day younger than 25 because mm. they are not a day younger than 25 mm. in real life. And it drives me insane because there is no reason why they couldn't make it set in college. There is absolutely no reason why these two characters had to be 17. It drives me, I have no idea why. But basically, we cut to a high school science fair where um, now... Well, it's the same adult, teacher, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, still shitting on his dreams. The same shitty yeah. teacher. They're yeah. showing him this transport thing. And they transport a little tiny plane to another place and bring it back. Yeah. They demonstrate teleportation. Yes. They demonstrate teleportation successfully. And uh, Homer Simpson is like, you're expelled. That's magic. That's yeah. science. <laughs> And Paul Reed is standing there going like, oh, it's really good. And he's all like, oh, I'm a dork. And then out of nowhere comes the voice of God, Reggie Cathy. Now I can't. It sounds a little bit like this. And and he says, wow, you're great. You're great at science. You should come to the Baxter building. Here's my hot daughter. And Reed's like, oh, she's hot. And then she's like, yeah, 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 you've, you've learned how to bring, bring back things from another dimension. And they, that's when they say, this is, you're actually transporting things to another dimension. How do but, they know that? Well, also, are they just trolling high school science fairs? Because this wasn't even like a state science no. competition. It was just like in this one school's yeah, gym. Yeah. And I, the age range there seemed to be like, yeah, year 12 downwards. Because there's yeah. some like kids there with like basic volcanoes. Like with with sort of like the yeah. what do you call it baking soda? Yeah. Anything. Yeah. Before they found Reed, they were gonna like give a huge scholarship to the kid with the potato battery. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you oh made... shit! He just teleported a plane. <laughs> <laughs> this Franklin Richards is definitely getting by on the strength of his voice alone. Yeah. Because if he's just like stealing science projects from children, then I I shudder to think of what the shape that his think tank would be in. Because again, like he doesn't know that Reed Richards is there. There's like no, there's no reason. There's no reason for him to be there. He's not hearing about this wunderkind. There's no reason for him to be there. There's also so he says to Reed, "You've cracked interdimensional travel. You've been able. We we can get things over there, but we can't bring anything back. But you seem to have cracked the like whatever the science is to get it back. So that's awesome. We want to offer you a full scholarship to the Baxter program, and it cuts to sort of like Reed and then the and Reed and Johnny. Um, sorry, not Johnny. Um, Ben coming to coming mm. to the Baxter building, and like they're standing there looking at it, going, "Wow!" And I'm like. If this kid is so smart, he would know what the Baxter Institute is. If the Baxter Institute is so prestigious, you would know what it is. Mm. And like, it like cuts this montage of Reed walking down the corridors, like looking at all of these previous things that the Baxter Institute have done, yeah. and, it's, and he's like, "Wow!" And I'm like, "But what?" Yeah. And then Franklin Richards, he's like, for a guy that works in a military, like. But it's think in, tank. He is, is that what it is? Well, he was, is that what it he is? He was in the room with like all of those guys who are clearly from the government, and there's like I think they mentioned NASA, but I think they also mentioned like military applications at one point, or at the very least, is dealing with like the high ups at the U.S. government, and he's just in this in the middle of this school gym, just just talking about interdimensional teleportation as if he was discussing like the weather and there are literally like children within earshot and he's just like yeah we've been working on this top secret teleportation machine and he's just kind of like just saying it in like this really blase way so problem number two 
there there is no sense of um, uh, gravitas to any. There's of, no majesty. Any of any of this, like there's no sense of um, proper proprietary around any of what they're doing like they are they're doing science that is it's not grow back science it's like move things science it's moving something from somewhere else oh it's specifically move back science though, move, because move, they got move, move their science they now he's cracked move back science so it's move there and move back science yeah. so this is what that's covered and we, you know like that's that's big science you know like um and yeah we, you should we, come to a big science building and do more big science yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. but we, there's no sense of of how big it is so yeah. Um, yeah, it's the fact of is just so weird because he's been doing these experiments with stuff from a junkyard, and then Franklin Richards comes in and he's like, "Come to my even bigger, more sciencey junkyard, and we can do junkyard science there like you'd never imagined yeah. before." And this is you had a great idea, so this is okay. Idea number idea number one to make this movie better: hmm. make them older. Don't make them old; just make them in their twenties. How the how old the actors are? Okay, yeah. that's fix one. Fix number two is um, don't have them at school. Have them be like either college students working on something that's like a bit weird and that can't get legs at in their own faculty or make them be like kind of steampunk sort of like app developer, to, like, a, like a startup in their own garage or something and then they're like 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 Silicon Valley or something I was going to say like then that. you cast Thomas Middleton yeah. <laughs> TJ Miller is the thing exactly we've got a great movie oh my guys. god yeah. holy shit Zach Woods is, as Johnny Storm <laughs> oh, that would be now. amazing anyway um, oh shit that actually would be really good mm. let's pitch it anyway um, so yeah, but like, just make it so that they're building it. Yeah, that would have ex- that would have made it so much better. I really like that idea. Anyway, Reed starts. Sorry, what were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say about this time, uh, Miles Teller and Kate Mara start building up their intense chemistry uh, <laughs> that they have as the oh the my romantic, god, the romantic pair. The heat the that they were emanating from the screen. I had to turn the aircon on. <laughs> It was, it was just like, outrageous. whoa. Yeah, look. Um, oh, so that reminds me of something that I was reading about this. So apparently Josh Trank, this is, okay, now let's cut back to mm. the real life. Because apparently Josh Trank was telling them how to um, breathe and how to blink. He apparently felt like Kate Mara had been pushed on him. So he he had fought for Teller, but didn't fight for Kate Mara, and believed. I told you she doesn't blink properly. Yeah, she just doesn't blink blink on command. But then he was all like, "Did you know her dad owns a football team?" Yeah, he turns out Trank is a (laughs) Teller Mara trooper as well. Doesn't add up there. So he he. Watch this frame by frame footage of the of the B roll. See how her left eye blinks, and then slightly later her right eye blinks. <laughs> uh, I can't find the exact quote, but I was reading it before. Basically, he was. He just treated her like a. He piece treated of shit. her like a piece of shit, um, like to the point where he kind of bullied her on set. He didn't get along very well with Miles Teller in the end, and he just in general was not a good director with the actors and was telling them to actually be less charismatic. So he was sitting there with Miles, uh, Mike, Michael B. Jordan and Miles Teller, two of the most charismatic young actors working today, and was telling them to be less charismatic. Um, 
he, I, I, yeah, I don't get it. Um, so, yeah, so he was already starting to sort of apparently um, uh, grit up this film, mm. but in the worst possible way. And, yeah, it comes across in some of these early scenes um, at the Baxter building where we're starting to, quote-unquote, get to know these characters. There's a terrible scene in the library between between Reed and Sue where he's trying to sort of hit on her and she she's not really having it, but their dialogue is just terrible. So she's into pattern recognition. Oh, that's, that's right. Thing. Oh, like, oh, yeah. I can see patterns in everything. And he's like... Oh wow, that's that's really interesting. Let me tell you about uh, rushing and slowing. I, did you know I once played the drums? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so that happens. Oh, and then uh, we 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 cut to um, uh, Franklin Storm having a meeting with these government guys, and he the government guys are looking over his thing, and he's going. Um, these kids, you're still putting all your faith into these kids and who is this Reed kid? And he's like, I'm telling you, he's cracked it. I'm putting all my faith into this 17-year-old kid who looks 26. And then he goes, but also on this list is a criminal, Victor Von Doom from yeah. Latveria. This think tank, it's, it's on its last legs. Your last three paper mache volcanoes didn't end up working and they went millions of dollars over budget. So your latest crop of 15-year-olds better invent something pretty goddamn spectacular. <laughs> and, and he's like, give Victor another chance. And, and the, these government guys are like, I don't know, he's dodgy. And he's like, no, no, please trust me. You should have seen the little model he made of the solar <laughs> system and all the planets. When they were on his little spun around, it spun around. <laughs> no, into he, did, he did both of Mars's moons on that presentation. Phobos and Deimos, <laughs> motherfuckers. I, I think he didn't even need his mum and dad's help to, to like cut the um, the wire coat hangers to make it. Like I think exactly he even did it himself. This kid is a live and didn't wire. Cut himself. He's got his own pliers. We'll save money on supplies. <laughs> <laughs> so Franklin goes to get Victor, and Victor is in some sort oh. of bunker. <laughs> Okay, so <laughs> now we need to talk about Victor Von Doom. So, so the intro of Victor Von Doom, <laughs> because they're, they're clearly like, okay, we need to get a lot of things across about this character in one go. Like instantly, you have to know that this guy is what, like, evil, but brilliant. also brilliant and very cultured. Yeah. So what do we have him do? And depressed. Uh, and depressed. Yeah, of course. So yeah. I reckon we should have him in front of a big giant computer setup with lots of different. Um, Lots of different screens and different things like he's got um, uh, like he's got videos tracking what's going on. So there's the brilliant tick, yeah, okay? Yeah. But it's How, a dark room. So he's depressed. Yes. Multiple computer screens isn't even impressive anymore. It doesn't even work as a thing. Shut I up, mean, Kyle. I have two You're not yes-handing us, okay? <laughs> We're right? not done we, with the concept right, pitch for okay, okay. Doom's intro Stop, yet. Stop, you're always hitting on our ideas. I'm <laughs> sick of it. So, that, so we've got he's brilliant, he's depressed. We need something to show he's cultured. Oh, what if we play Vivaldi's The Four Seasons? Brilliant! <laughs> he's not just he's listening to classical music, but we only know one classical music mm. piece in the world. Not some you, you, yeah. I've heard Dvorak's pretty good. No? No. No, Vivaldi, we're going full Baroque. Yeah. Okay, so we're going full Baroque and now finally we just need to show that he's an evil dude. So um, how can we do that? We'll get Richards in there, who's clearly oh sorry, I keep calling Richards. Storm. We'll get um, Franklin Storm in there. And Franklin's just going to be like, hey, come and help me build something really cool. And what do you think you should say? Fuck you. Yeah. Except not that, because this is PG-13. Right. So, like, just like, you know, no, this world doesn't need saving. Something about how, like, humanity is fucked, Hmm. and then he doesn't believe we need saving. Hmm. 
something like that. Some kind of, something that would seem like if someone said it to you in real life, you'd be like, I wonder if that person will become a supervillain someday. Because it seems like the kind of philosophy a supervillain might hold. And you know what, how you can back that up? Let's get him in the room with Reed, our plucky hero, okay? Let's get him in the room and let's put them up against each other. And then let's bring in the wild card here, the girl who is between them, right? And you know, let's get her to say something like Dr. Doom over here when he's being all negative about stuff. And, and he doesn't have his PhD yet. He doesn't have his PhD yet and he also doesn't think this world is worth saving of because course. we've stuffed it up, And guys. he's wearing a leather jacket. I think you forgot to mention. He's oh. looking pretty cute, he's guys. How you know he's he's a looking bad pretty boy. he's looking he pretty like, sexy. He, he acts like He's had like a shame there's a, though. There's a, there's like a, a character in a seventh heaven B plot called Bad Influence <laughs> and that's that's what Victor Von Doom in this movie is. Yeah. He's the guy and then at the end of their seventh heaven episode, uh, they're like, Okay, I'm gonna stop hanging around with that he guy. Tries he tries to pressure influence. her into having told sex. Me, oh, not even not like, even that level. No. He said that I shouldn't listen to mum and dad and he said I should like skip church on Sunday or something like that. <laughs> Steal from the collection plate or something. It's it's like he is such a cheesy bad guy yep. in this. The stuff is coming out with where it's just like, man, what if the government was bad? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what Steady if I told on, you American culture is decadent? Yeah. Like, oh man, this rabble rouser. Uh, we got to keep him. Keep take him shelter low. from all the truth bombs. Is this <laughs> like how you guys were when you were like fifteen and you first watched Fight Club? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Victor Von Zoom had just seen Fight Club yes. before he was recruited into this project. We did wish it was one other detail that uh, maybe I'm hoping I'm remembering this correctly, but when you see him and he's sitting in the dark room listening to Vivaldi, he's playing a video game, right? But he's not. Is he using? He's not using a controller. Am I? Uh, is something like he's, he's using like Google Glass. Or yeah, something he's wearing like, Google oh, Glass. Google, yes, yes, yeah. yes he's wearing a Google Glass. Yes. Sergey Brin was like, we can't. We've got to buy some great um, product placement in this movie. How can we do it? Oh, the product placement in this movie. Now that we've mentioned it, it just—it's so out of touch. Mm. Like I saw an honest to god product placement for Dr Pepper in this movie. <laughs> Dr Pepper. Was the only soft drink company they could and get. And as a soft drink lover, you, you you are like very offended by this. Well, I just found it kind of hilarious because I didn't even know they were still making it at this stage. Oh, they're still making it. It's just it. like, I it, it seems so suitable. Um, so anyway, Victor's in there. He's in there because A, he wants to, uh, he wants to corrupt Sue a little more. Um, and uh, and he thinks that they they can actually make it work now that they've got Reed in to bring his bring back science as opposed to just the go there science. So Von Doom had separately been developing the teleporter idea, but Reed was the one who got there before him. So there's yeah. been a professional rivalry between them. Too as well. busy wasting his time listening to classical music and playing Call of Duty with his Google Glass. <laughs> Get motivated, Doom. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what Franklin Storm tried to tell him. Stop riding around on your motorcycle. Speaking of riding around on your motorcycle, now is when we get introduced to probably the best um, character of the movie mm. by just, I guess, default. Yeah. Keeping up the tradition Surely of Fantastic default. Four movies. By default, the best character is Johnny Storm, played yeah. by a black man. A powerful black man. <laughs> Here we are again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sensing a theme. That's a callback. That's a callback, guys. Yeah. Uh, you've got to listen to our back episodes because we've got a rich tapestry going. So, um, so <laughs> it's Michael B. Jordan, and again with the lazy storytelling. We know he's a rebel because he's like doing some like 
um, uh, Furious 7 sort of knockoff. You keep wanting to see, like, Vin Diesel come up next to him, be like, yo, that car's, you know, not cool. He's driving a Toyota that he souped up himself. Anyway, he crashes it. His dad has to come and save him. And his dad's like, you're out of control. And he's like, fuck you. You're not my real dad. Oh, yes, you are. You're not You're not <laughs> Sue's real dad. Um, and then he kind of tells him that the only way he can get his car money back is if he comes and works for them on their project. Yeah. And he comes back and Doom and him are like, Doom does not like him. But he and Reed like hit, hit it off because they're both like little, yeah. they're little welding buddies. We have one scene where he says, I need help. And and Johnny's like, I'll help you. And Reed's like, hey, nice to meet you. I'm Reed. You know, the, the, the scenes where the characters are actually interacting yeah. in this, and you mentioned this when we were watching it, there's, there's really not much interaction between them at all. And what interaction there is... It's kind of like if you got a montage from another movie and then took the music out and actually played what they were saying, like all of that filler dialogue yeah. where it's just a shot of two people kind of like in, in, in like the same area kind of doing a task together and in the montage it's like two seconds of that and then it's the next one. But in the Fantastic Four, that's that's all it is. So it'll be like Johnny and Reed will be like, oh, hey, can you, can you weld that there? And he's like, okay, I'll weld it. And then he welds it. And then that's the scene. That's their relationship. That's pretty much all we yeah. get on Johnny and, and Reed. And then there's like another flirty scene between Reed and Sue where like he's having a nap. Like she catches him napping or something on the thing. And she's like, oh, were you napping? And he's like, no. And then they just sort of giggle at each other for about 10 seconds and mm. then Doom sees them. And like that's pretty much it in terms of like their their relationship. And I think uh, Ben doesn't ben interact with Johnny once. Ben barely interacts with Johnny. Yeah, so, okay, problem number three, you're right. The characters don't spend any time together, and indeed, the four of them don't aren't in the same room together post ever until the third act. At all. Yeah. They're supposed to be a family. Mm. And they're supposed to be, like, they're supposed to love each other and care about each other. And, yeah, there's, like, a couple yeah. of pairings off, and that's it. Even when they're in, and we're going to get to the, the the thing that gives them their powers very soon. But like, but even I, that, they're not in the same room. No, like <laughs> no. Well, even and then even when they're in, yeah, we'll get to that now. So basically, um, they do some tests. They get it working. The new super team of Doom, Sue, Reed, and um, Johnny. They make they make it up, and that's and, awesome. And, and Sue makes the uniform. Oh yeah, sorry. Sue does their little clothes, their yeah, little space suits. That's right. Yeah. She's and like, then... sorry, their environment suits. And mm. don't worry, she's good at she's good at reading patterns, yeah. and she made their environment suits. Yeah. She, I've, I've finished the stitching on the little suit. I'm going to go off and stare at some zigzags now. I'm like <laughs> that's basically her thing in the movie. Oh God. This it gets even worse. Does not consider worse. Sue Storm a character at all. Right. <laughs> it's just like a vague sort of mishmash of like, here's some things I think about women, yeah. and just kind of put it. It's, it's horrible. It's, and Sue Storm's a great character. Yeah, yeah. like you. Re- uh, sorry. No, absolutely. <laughs> no, it's and it's then, pretty frustrating. And <laughs> then, uh, and then we also I forgot to mention the first wig sighting was when Reed and Doom meet. That's so. Oh, that's so do, our, you wanna, do you want to explain the, so, the significance of the wig? The wig sighting. So now let's take another step back out of the movie, back into how they were making the movie. So they they, they filmed it for about ten ten months or nine months. Um, towards Josh Trank's behaviour got started to get really bad. He trashed his Louisiana house. He and his wife. Can you fill it with? 
dogs? He did. I don't know. Basically, they had to call the police on him in his house. He was apparently doing a lot of drugs as well. And on set, at this point, he was not only just being a dick, but he was basically withdrawing from everyone. And so um, he would be sitting behind the camera, literally in a tent around him so that people wouldn't interact with him. And um, he would go, like, sort of just into his own trailer when they were setting up stuff not to talk to anyone. So... Things were going really, really badly on set. Um, They finished principal photography and the studio realised that he hadn't really delivered a full picture. And so I also read that 20th Century Fox had tried to be very hands-off with him because apparently they have a... Um, they had a reputation of being too hands-on mm. with their directors and they wanted to give him space to do his thing. I think but, they were trying for a contrast with Marvel as well because yes. Marvel Studios is infamously very controlling. Hands-on, yep. And so they were like, okay, maybe we can differentiate ourselves by letting these directors kind of stamp their own brand yep. onto it. Yep. Except they just chose a director who was going on a really deep spiral yeah Yeah. maybe do some background checks first (laughs) yeah yeah so he um so anyway that's when simon kinberg who i mentioned earlier one of the writers and producers kind of stepped in and and started playing a quasi director role now apparent and they came back for reshoots at the beginning of 2015 and the reshoots (laughs) in the meantime kate mara had cut her hair and now you can see her wearing just a really, really bad wig. And I'm like... Wig horror. I, I don't understand how they could get... She's a pretty girl with a normal-sized head, and it was just a blonde, like, long bob wig. Like, it shouldn't be that hard to make it look good. And yet, it was so obvious she was wearing a wig in those... In certain scenes. And one of the first ones was that one where they all meet Doom. So, like, that was obviously a reshoot. Anyway... <clears throat> So um, they get it to work, they do some tests, and after their first successful test with the monkey, the government people who are in charge of the Baxter, you know, uh, Franklin's boss comes in and says, you know, you're not allowed to, we're going to now hand this over to NASA. And Reed and um, and Doom and Johnny and Sue are all pissed off because they were going to go. For some reason, in this fucking ramshackle, rinky-dink operation that Franklin Storm is running, it was just like, yeah, sure, we'll get the, the guys that designed it. To we'll get like, the 17-year-old. Yeah, why not? And we'll like, send him. Maybe he's 18 by this point. Maybe. Let's send still, him. It's like the guys. It feels that designed... like it's been two weeks since he got It really there. Like does. The it might, it might have been a year. Like, yeah. It might have been. They might have been working on it for two days, a year. We don't know. Hmm. How long does welding take? Uh, like, a, like I don't know. I'm a girl, so I'm only good at sewing. But I'm assuming like half How of are you a with patterns? day. Oh, I'm really good at it. Really good. Anyway, um, so. <laughs> So then the boys get drunk. So then Sue goes off and tries to fix it, and the boys, Doom, Storm, um, Doom, Johnny, and Reed, get drunk. And they then sort of sit around talking and being boys, say, we're going to go. And then Reed calls Ben, who is in Brooklyn or wherever, asleep in his, like, junkyard where he lives, hmm. and he says, come on, you're, it's because you of you and because you were my partner all through high school... Um, I want you to come with us. And then they wait for him. And they, they made a comment that he was at least 40 minutes away on train. So I don't know how long they would have waited for him to get into the city. But then, yeah, Ben shows up. Ben meets them. And Ben's like, you're all drunk. And they're like, yeah, we're going to go teleporting. Anyway, they all jump into the teleporter. The boys. So there's four spots. 
and the four boys get into the teleporter. Sue does not get into the teleporter. Mm-hmm. And what pisses me off... Well, again, like, there's no reason for the ha- that they had to be four. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they ha- there was yeah. no reason Could have for- been five. And, and indeed, their second Mac, their Mac 2 design later in the thing is like a little room that they all go inside. And yeah. it could have been developed that, like that. And she could have gone with them in the plot. Like, it wouldn't have been a big deal. Well, she, she, could have, could- she could have followed on separately to try and save their drunk. Okay, yes. she could have been falling for Reed. And basically, he would have said to her, come with me. And she would have been like, I'll go anywhere with you. You know what I mean? Like, they could have I'm written that the other way around. She's like, oh. Shit, I've got to go to Dimension Z to rescue my idiot brother again. And she comes and, like, pulls them out of the fire or whatever. Yeah, I, as that scene's playing out, because they, they, when they teleport, like, um, I was watching and going, wait, Sue's not going with them on the, the, the journey that gives them their powers. Yeah. Sue's not going to be there. And I'm like, oh, they're going to do something where she has to go and get them or mm. something like that. Yeah. Like, oh, wait, no, 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 I guess we're not, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, she gets left behind. The boys go to the not the negative zone. What is it? Planet Planet Zero. Planet Zero, whatever. What do you think of their teleporter, by the way? Because like its design. Well, just like the way the whole thing is used, because it's basically just like a a four coffins in the middle of a soundstage, and then they get in there, and then there's a, a big flashing light, and then they get out. It just seemed very sterile to me. Like I was, I was remembering uh, the Tesseract and the way that was used in Avengers when that teleported Loki and just the way that interacted and it was just a lot more visually interesting. Like at least You mean like seeing them going through space? Yeah, because the Fantastic Four, there's like the two biggest things about them is one, they're a family, so they they bicker but they love each other. And the second one is that they're explorers first and like fighters or heroes second. Like it's meant to be yeah, they're, they're, they're going back to the old days of like Columbus or Neil Armstrong or something like that. The joy in like finding a new territory or whatever. And yeah, it's kind of like this whole Star Trek vibe of it as well. Yeah, uh, or but lost in space. Yeah, but with yeah. this, it was like the actual exploration seemed like such a. It seemed very rushed through, and they didn't even seem to really enjoy it or were interested about it. Like Ben and Johnny just yeah. wanted to. So when they get got out. there, Ben and Johnny are like. Johnny is full on like, I don't want to be here. I want to stay. And then they go, let's go down this ridge to check out that. Hmm. Reed and Doom are like, let's go check that out. Johnny's like, no way. I'm staying here. He and they're hangs like, out cool. by the pot. He hangs out. Ben comes down with them. But as soon as they're down there, Ben's like, this is a bad idea. We need to go back. So like, even there, like only half of them are really into it. Hmm. By this stage, Sue has gotten the alert. And she's the only one that's gotten the alert, apparently, that the... the, the, the you know, the teleport has been activated. So she's come back down into the lab and she's like, oh shit, these mm. fucking idiots. And so she's there trying to trying to contact them throughout the thing. But yeah, she could have gone back to save them or she could have gone with them in the first place. There's yeah. lots of different scenarios that could have taken place there that would have taken her to that zone. Oh, she was just on the bench. Now, what did you think of the look of Planet Zero? I'm fine. Okay. And some, okay. Good thing about this movie. One of two or three things, right? Special effects were fine. The special effects were yeah. fine. Special but effects were unimaginative. fine. Unimaginative. Yeah. Like yeah, Planet well. Zero. I don't know. I was hoping for something a bit more alien. I mean, you look at something like Guardians of the Galaxy and what they did with some of their planets and the space scene and the floating I... celestial head. I think it could have been more than just like glowing green. Like I thought that was kind of. It left me a bit cold. Like I think they could have done something. It was definitely. Um, I found it more upsetting at the end. When they because the final the final battle happens in this zone at the end and then it's very dark and mm. 
just doesn't do anything for you. But that's because that whole scene doesn't really do anything for you. Mm. Um, the early scenes I thought were okay. What did you think, Owen? I, either one didn't do anything for me. I was yeah. actually, yeah, I just thought it was pretty boring looking mm. planet. Like, it's just kind of... Like, yeah, but I guess... I don't know but that's I mean, partly the... how it's presented as well. Like, it's not presented in a very cinematic way. It's no. just kind of just... Yeah, they're like just there. The, the, the first humans to ever travel to a different dimension, and instead of, like, the roaring music of we're seeing something that no eyes have ever seen before, mm. and, you know, where this is like a new era of history and all that sort of stuff, they're basically just like, Johnny's just not interested, Ben's not interested, and then Reed and Victor are just focused on the green goo that's lying around. Mm. And, well, to be honest, we... Our first, as viewers, our first view of, of the Planet Zero is actually via a monitor. Mm. Like, we don't, you know, it's via, you know, it's just, yeah, again, decisions made about storytelling in this movie are really weird as well and boring and un- uninspired and uncinematic. Um, but again, that might be Trank's, Trank didn't want to, he wanted an intimate story. Anyway, needless to say, stuff goes wrong at Planet Zero Doom is lost to the goo because he tries to goddamn touch it. What an mm. idiot! They they um they leave they have to leave him there while they he gets eaten up by the goo. And the boys then try to come back into the pod, but then then like the rocks start hitting Ben, and then like um Johnny's Johnny's catches on, Johnny's fire. Catches on fire. And I can't really remember. Well, I mean, how do you make someone stretchy? Reed but... gets hit with uh like a big slinky. Hit... No, he brought a stretch Armstrong, like that doll from the nineties. <laughs> he just brought it with him yeah. in the capsule. And the stretch and the... Armstrong was brought to life yeah. and then infused itself with him. Yeah. Reed getting, uh, sorry, Ben getting just pelted with rocks. Was pretty <laughs> that was just, like, so weird. The slime was just hurling these rocks at his face. He was like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> that was really weird. And I just like Billy Elliot, motherfucker. Pirouette your way out of that one. You are clearly a tap dancer. I can't. The 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 green was probably pro union. It's like your dad broke the strike. We still haven't, <laughs> still haven't forgiven you. Hope those ballet lessons were worth it. Don't think I've forgotten about King Kong, bitch. <laughs> Thatcher was your fault. <laughs> um, well, yes, exactly. The rocks were sentient, and then um, oh, so then Sue is back in the lab, and then when it comes back, it like lets out an energy pulse and hits her, and then she afterthought. Afterthought. Yeah. She gets- Afterthought powers, yep. and then she just like flashes invisible for for, for no reason. Yeah, yeah. Like they don't even they don't even try. They don't even try. And okay, and then it turns to black, and then it opens from black to this scene of destruction and rubble. And now, what follows in the next 10, 15 minutes is, in my opinion, the only kind of cool scene section of the film. Yeah. And this is the section of the film where you see the body horror thing and the Trank's original idea and I really got a sense of, okay, I think I see what whatever the original idea for the for this origin story is, it was in this fifteen minutes. Yeah. And this the is the way, scene he wrote first. This is the scene he wrote first and to his credit it's a good it's a good sequence of scenes. So what happens is um, Reed wakes up and Reed can just hear Johnny screaming. I'm oh, sorry, I keep calling Johnny and Ben. I keep getting mixed up. It's Ben. Keeps hearing Ben screaming for him, and he's on the ground and he thinks he tries to um, get his legs out from under something that's fallen under his legs, and then he's crawling to his friend, and then he looks over and he sees um, Johnny in flames. And he's he's clearly like freaking out, and he's like, "Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god!" And he keeps going towards the voice of Ben, which is behind these big rocks. 
and gets there and can't see behind the rocks and then sort of turns to look behind him and his legs were never uncaught from the thing behind him and his legs had been stretched the whole time. And then he freaks out and uh, and you, the viewer, don't see that either. It's a reveal to you as well. And he turns around and then he faints. That was great, okay? Then he wakes up in a lab and he's all stretched and they're doing all these awful experiments on him. He can hear Ben like screaming for him cuts to like franklin storm going i just want to see my kids and then they take him to these labs and he sees his son on fire and his daughter like coming in and out of consciousness of this of of being invisible and he's obviously devastated and everyone is just like what the fuck is going on with these kids like why what's happening to their bodies um uh, reed tr- escapes because he's stretchy he can get out of his restraints and goes through the vents and sees... And that's when we see Ben for the first time. He sees Ben through the vents and he's like, oh my God, you're a giant rock monster. And says to him, I'm going to come back. I'm going to save you. And Ben's pleading for his help. And then he escapes through the vents and runs off into the wilderness. Read. Um, And then... uh, And then... then, One year later. Just cut back out of... um, out of the film back into reality mode this is where simon kinberg has obviously gone we need a third act yeah the wheels have fallen off the car at this stage so this this whole jump forward one year is clearly some sort of everything post the jump forward one year point is a complete schmozzle and we you thought things were bad earlier they're only just going to get worse now because what's what is done is pieced together some sort of ending for this story that is just so weird. So It's like one of those MasterChef challenges where they go, okay, you've got these three ingredients. Yep. Now you have to somehow make a meal out of it. And I mean, part of me blames Simon Kinberg, but then part of me is like, well, I guess he's probably it's the best he has. Yeah, mm. like it's the best he can do, I Like suppose. the fact that the movie was actually released is actually kind of a testament to Kinberg because you could tell he was working with, with nothing at the end. There was one scene in the so in the post one year later bit where uh, Franklin and Sue are talking in a room and it's clearly just a, an empty sound stage with like a bunch of like crates in it and honest to god it looked like a play a play like, yeah 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 it did <laughs> it, was, it was it was just like they were just assembling like whatever they had left over arranging it so that the frame wasn't completely empty and, and then just continuing the, the no that these there. are wig scenes so then post the post one year after scenes are where you see mostly Kate Mara's wig like the mm. so obviously they padded out that last bit mostly with reshoots yeah that scene was actually filmed at the wig outlet those are shipping <laughs> containers full of wigs, wigs. yeah yeah so anyway, basically we learn that uh, that the three remaining Fantastic Four, of which, by the way, again, we get no scenes of them to get. We get mm. a couple of scenes of Sue and Johnny talking. We get no scenes of Ben with either Johnny or Sue. At this point, we don't even know if Sue's even met uh, Ben. Mm. Yeah, like, there's no point. proof yeah. that she even knows he exists. They could have been keeping them in separate rooms. Like she knows her brother's alive, but apart from that. Yeah, there's no sense that these three are working together. Johnny's quite happy to be an experiment for the military. So is Ben. Ben has been killing people. Yeah, you know what I don't need in a Fantastic Four movie is for one of the characters to have a kill count of 43. (laughs) I just... They turn Ben into like American Sniper, where they're deploying him on these missions, Mm. and they show footage, which is very 
close to like the footage of Hulk versus the army mm. and he's yeah. just like thrashing tanks and all this sort of stuff but I mean I don't have a, a, a problem with making a darker or more grounded Fantastic Four but just having one of the having two of the characters just so willing to sign up and just be like hired assassins mm. seems like a bit of a stretch although I would watch an unrelated spin-off of like Ben Grimm as like a government military agent because I'd love it if it was like if they started using him like Ben Grimm agent of shield if they started maybe they started using him and it started off he was just like destroying tanks and then he had to do like intrigue meetings and he's uh his, it's just like Tinker Tailor soldier spies doing briefcase swaps. Just a naked rock man with a little with a with a, yeah. with a fedora. Yeah, the lady. And he's, <laughs> and like, he's doing like you know in, how in Fury, whenever the spies meet each other, they have to like recite that yeah. coda of poetry. He's doing that sort yeah. of stuff. And yeah, yeah Jamie Bell could make quite a lot of money out of that. Yeah, I'd, I'd watch it. It would at least be an interesting take. But no, in this movie, he's just like a mass murderer. So for, for for the army, but I think specifically for like the CIA or something. So he's off just like deposing socialist leaders in South America or something. And I might note that, yes, we've been talking quite a lot. Like we've been talking now for almost an hour about this movie. Um, but please trust me that um, the next the next section of film is going to be so quick to talk about. Because yeah. really nothing... There's another whole third of the film to come but I reckon we can cover it off the film so basically quickly. just ends so, so basically what happens is they find Reed they oh Sue uses her special girl powers mm. of pattern recognition mm. oh yeah Reed escaped at some point Reed right? it, so I said that yeah oh but sorry just before, just, <laughs> just before just before the, the cut to one year later he's, right. that's what he's, he, he escapes right okay so they don't know where he is so she has to find they've decided they've got to find Reed because Reed might be the one that can fix them so she goes to, um, she looks up his phone records or some shit and finds him. She finds him because he was using the username Captain Nemo, but Which it was spelled said... N3M0. Yeah. And they'd previously had a conversation. I think their only conversation well, yeah. mm-hmm. was about 20,000 leagues under the Where sea. Where he just goes, I really love this book. And yeah. she goes, yeah, cool. Um, I re- do you reckon, I reckon she'd be able to tell that prawn equals porn as well? You know, if she can, if she can figure if out, she that sees Nemo, the pattern enough, she can yeah. see she the pattern. I think she could probably it. figure it out. Yeah. So um, they track him down. Now, this was one kind of interesting thing that I thought was cool. Was there's a scene where Reed is like <laughs> impersonating a South American, and he kind of changes his because he's mm. got like now stretch is that powers. something yeah, stretch yeah. powers in his face? Now is that something you can do he, in the comics? I, can he change his appearance like that? I don't think he does often, but he's probably done it before. Yeah, I don't. I've, I've never. I've never seen that come up. But I recently I've been reading the, the catching up on the new Ms. Marvel, the mm. Kamala Khan version. Oh, yeah. And when she first gets her powers, and she has stretchy powers as well, she's an Inhuman. She has stretchy powers. She can change her face. Yeah, right. Uh, and so. Theoretically, I guess. I, theoretically, it makes it. sense. Yeah. I just I've never seen the it was character. A bit do weird it. to yeah. see Reed Richards doing like a Mickey Rourke in Breakfast at Tiffany's, <laughs> just adopting like this. Ethnic oh man, I wish of... Mickey Rourke was in no, Breakfast you, at you, Tiffany's. You, you, you mean Mickey Rooney? Mickey Rooney. Oh, <laughs> but God. still, Mickey yeah. Rourke, he'd do it. He'll be up for the remake. I want to see that. Oh my God. Yeah. So it, it doesn't feel like something that Reed Richards would normally do. Mm. Like, it, like I, I, I could. But have we ever really seen Reed Richards on the run before? No. I, don't, I didn't necessarily hate that he went on the run, he was underground, but I didn't like the fact that they had to kidnap him to get him back to help. <laughs> and 
rather than him kind of coming back of his own volition. It was really because like Because it's he the right thing to do. Well, yeah. Maybe it's the heroic okay. thing. He ran away and then he got busted. <laughs> okay, alright. Well, here's where we can talk about Reed Richards, the character. Mm. So, Miles Teller is a very interesting guy who is both very compelling and a very good actor and also kind of unlikable. Mm. Like, there's a smarminess about the character that works really well in most things because it means that he can play... Um, sort of co- uh, conflicted characters quite easily, um, which I thought made him a great choice for this character because Reed Richards isn't likable all the time. Reed Richards is sort of notoriously kind of a dick to his, you know, to his wife. He ends up marrying Sue, and, and just in general, is kind of a difficult character to sort of really love. And so I thought that that casting wasn't so bad. I thought that actually thought the casting overall was great. So I would never begrudge the actors um, in this movie. I think they did the best they could. But, like, um, yeah, he doesn't really go on the... But this idea that he was trying to escape his responsibilities is also a little unfair because we know that he was looking for Ben and he was looking for a way to fix Ben and that was how she found him was because he was only searching for, like, Rockman Mm. and stuff like that and sightings about him. So he didn't... Abandon him. Well, he was keeping a scrapbook, but he he wasn't really. Well, we don't know what his motivation. He never he he never brings up curing Ben when they meet again. Yeah, we don't really know what he was trying to do. Hmm. Um, But I did get the impression that it wasn't that he didn't care. I don't know. The fact that we can have that discussion is problem four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) yeah. Well, that's right. Problem. Yeah, I think. Uh, Problem four. I think. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Um, so anyway, he comes back, he has another scene with Sue where she tries to tell him, I can't remember something boring. And then (laughs) they have, um, they've been making the teleportation device and they're like, great, maybe if we go back to planet zero, we can find the answer. And they send some scientists back to planet zero. And that's when Reed says to them, you made it ugly. You made my machine ugly. Yeah. And that's what I liked as you said, if, if they'd been like a sort of their own sort of operation, he could have done a bit of a Steve Jobs like you've wrecked my vision, hmm. but instead, like their original machine was really ugly, and they they were already kind of working with the government anyway, so that, that was always the plan. They were like contractors, yeah. so it's not like he can really say you made it ugly. Yeah, like, you were always their it's employee. Like, kind of knew the deal going in, and that's why Von Doom was so pissy the whole time because it's mm. like I don't like working so close to the U.S. government. Yeah, so yeah, I don't know. That seemed like a bit of a. A contrived shot to make. Yeah. And then they go back to patient, uh, patient zero, ground zero, and find patient zero, a man staring towards him who has a very jaunty cape. Where did he get the cape? From the goo. From the goo? The goo yeah. gave him a cape? Yep. Cape goo? And uh, they... Oh, that or Sue made it for him. Yeah. Oh, she just sent it through like, the thing. <laughs> yeah, she was like, this FYI, here's a cape. Anyway, so they bring back Doom... His uh, suit has been um, welded to, like, sort of fused with his body, Mm. which results in Doom not having a mouth, essentially. Like, all of the scenes, and I guess Toby Cable probably didn't even need to be on set for the rest of the movie, because essentially you can't see anyone's face. It's kind of like Kylo Ren with with the thing on, or any act, or like, you know, Iron Man with his thing on. You actually could be anyone under there, Um, and just doing a, like, sort of ADR later. Um... Doom comes back. Doom then just goes on a killing rampage for no reason. I have to say, this was the only other sequence that I, I didn't, didn't hate. Mind, yeah. When Doom is just walking around the base, just exploding heads. It was very similar to 
chronicle and yeah that idea of like i've got power and i'm just gonna go around using it exactly and uh, agreed like that scene was kind of cool and it had an atmosphere because it was just sort of them following him through the um the tunnels and but again okay and now this is when we start to maybe see the fantastic four actually be together but again like they break them up into two pairs and like the the storm kids are on one are on one side, and um, Reed and Ben are on the other. Um, Doom then kills Franklin Storm, and the storm kids are like, "No, Dad!" And then um, Ben and Reed try to stop Doom, but they can't. And then Doom goes into his sort of big sucky dimension pool thing. It was so he kind of he joins the two dimensions and it's going to end if it stays open with the earth getting destroyed and only because it's just sucking remaining. all of the yeah. earth into yeah. this to this vortex, which is such a. I mean, if I see another vortex in the sky mm. again, like another lazy thing, like we had that in the Avengers, we have it in like we had it in it Ghostbusters. Looks, it looks very similar steel. to Man of Steel. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Man of Steel. Yeah, I mean, there's I can think of heaps that do it. Um, I feel like there might have even been a... Was there one in X-Men? I feel like there might have been one in X-Men. Well, the, the the, there's the, the, the bubble of... In the first X-Men, there's like the bubble of energy at the top of yeah, the Statue of Which is of not unlike the Hulk. Yeah. The bubble yeah. of the yeah. Hulk. Anyway. Anyway, the point is it's a big vortex in the sky. So they have to, they have to unite to take down Doctor Doom on Planet Zero. And Doctor Doom, when he's fighting them... His one and only fighting tactic is to just telekinetically pile rocks on top of people. Yep. So he just does like, Sue will come and attack him and it will just like cover a force field in rocks and throw her away. And then Ben will attack him and we'll just cover him in rocks. Nice. And then he learned he it from the, the goo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, so here's what you do, man. Throw rocks. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that. Trust I hate me. that. I've been a sentient puddle of goo on this planet for centuries. It's the best tactic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Trust me, man. And if you throw in some, some sort of um, like anti-labor um, yeah. rhetoric in there, all the better. Um, and then, of course, it's Reed who sort of, says to them, no, we have to work together. We can't just hmm. attack him on our own. Doesn't he, like, pin Reed oh, to the ground at well, one point? he pins them all to the ground. Yeah. And then... And then they just get up. Then they just get up. Then Nothing Reed, has changed. And then just Reed just kind of goes, my friends need me, and he just gets up. Hmm. Which, yeah, was infuriating. And um, then they sort of... They unite in an attack, and they kind of use their powers together. Like, Sue makes Ben go invisible. Sue makes some clothes, and then looks at some patterns. And then... Ben just beats the crap out of Doom. Yeah, mm. yeah. And they, yeah, and then they just sort of they, they 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 hit Doom into the vortex power, and then he gets hit, and then um, yeah. And then oh. the movie doesn't end uh, because <laughs> they go back to the may as well have uh, just freeze framed it there. Yeah, yeah. Like, the the end. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they just jump in yeah. the air like yeah. <laughs> well, it was the ending. The ending scene was so bizarre because. They go back to Earth, and all of the G-Men are, are there waiting. They're like, oh, you saved the day. That's really good. We're, we're going to do so much together. And then Reed's like, you know what? We're going to go independent, and there's nothing you can do about it. And then the government ends up agreeing to put them up in a new facility. Yep. Uh, Which could have been the Baxter building. But yeah, isn't. But it's, it's like a different this other one. big building. And it's, it's, it's staffed with, like, hundreds of scientists, and they're just going to get, like, a blank check to do... Science. Science stuff, I guess. Yeah. And yeah, and like the, the, I think I said to you, like, when we were watching it, that the, the, 
the head scientist that's like showing them around, he says these lines that, that sound like they should be significant, but they're not. He's like, yeah, we've had these facilities for, oh, about 12 years. And and, and you're like, yeah, like wink, wink. And I'm, I looked at you and I'm like, what? What is that supposed to mean? Something is that is that it's a, a reference to the comics that I'm not aware of? But it's not like it's mm. just bad writing. Yeah, and then they sort of look out over it, and they have this god awful end scene, which is again one of the only times that they're actually talk to each other throughout the whole thing. And mm. Johnny and Ben have a little quibble, and it's like, oh yeah, they're supposed it's, it's to not pretty, like it's each other. Loaded though, like it's it's just like the I think. Ben says something and then Johnny's like, You're a fucking you, dickhead. You ugly monster. <laughs> like, you're hideous. You're, you're a hideous freak. Yeah. <laughs> you piece of like, shit. Yeah. Like, Shut the fuck up. I was like, mm, Yeah, without laying the foundation of these guys <laughs> like each other, then their kind of like snappy banter takes on like a lot yeah. m- a more of a meaner tone. And it's kind of like they, through the whole movie, they're all just really surly. Yeah, like they're just very bitter and no, surly. No reference each other. to any romance. Like no, like there's mm. nothing. The four of them just sort of stand there and look over it, and it's like we should call ourselves. The oh, yeah, cut to the, flanta- the fantastic. Isn't the reason we're like, wow, this really is fantastic, <laughs> and then, and then Ben goes. Say that again. <laughs> no, it's the other way around. Oh, yeah. it's the other way yeah, around. Yeah, okay, right. right. Yeah, and there are four of us. It yeah. sure is fantastic. <laughs> yes. That's my... That's your Ben Grimm. Okay, we'll do it. You... I'll be, I'll be Ben, you be Reed, okay? This is fantastic. Wait, say that again. I said, this is fantastic. Cut to print. <laughs> <laughs> It really, it, I tried to put as much energy into that as most of the cast yeah, did. In. Yeah, yeah. So strange. Uh, so, okay. So, they didn't say that there wasn't going to... So, this movie then bombed. Mm. Uh, and then a lot of stuff came out. Josh Trank tweeted something. A year ago, I had a fantastic version of this. And it would have been received... Sorry, and it would have received great reviews. You'll probably never see it. That's reality, though. <laughs> he then deleted it. Um, apparently, he uh, he emailed days before Fantastic Four opened. Director Josh Trank sent an email to some members of the cast and crew to say he was proud of the film, which he wrote was better than ninety nine percent of the comic book movies ever made. <laughs> uh, a, a an unnamed cast member. Bets on Mara, because again, I'm Mara Truther, re- replied back to him a one-liner with, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. So I think that was Miles Teller. It's, it's either him, it's either, it's, it's either Miles Teller or Mara. But and man, I, I, I don't think, I mean, I understand that the movie obviously went off the rails and that there are good aspects, good ideas in it, but before he gets on his high horse, this movie had an honest-to-God Borat joke in it. A yeah. Borat joke in like 2015. So I, I really don't think it was ever going to be as great as, as Trank says that it could have been. I know. It definitely... I, I definitely think that it wasn't... It, uh, it He was just the wrong person. And it, 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 it sort of... It was kind of doomed from the beginning. Mm. Yeah. Um, not, not too long after the, the movie... Oh, sorry. Before the movie came out, 
but but after it had been completed, Josh Trank pulled out of doing Rogue One, the Star Wars yeah. movie, or one of the Star Wars spin-off movies. I think it was Rogue One that's currently shooting. But um, he'd been offered and given that, and he said at the time that it was for personal reasons and for and for also just um, not wanting to work with the studio for a little while. Um, so who knows what really was the prompt for that. I'm sure he was just as much pushed. I mean, I, it's going to be very hard for him to come back from this. Hmm. There have been yeah. other directors that have had big, pretty bad missteps, but they had been kind of established directors. Also, he was the so fact new. That, I think that that tweet is actually probably what killed him because the fact that he would then badmouth the studio and slag it off just as it was on like the first weekend of the box office like yeah. I, I don't think anyone is really going to fund him again it sort of reminds me of this uh, documentary called Overnight have you ever seen that? no uh, so it, it's about uh, this the guy who wrote and directed Boondock Saints oh yeah sort of like a big cult hit about yeah. like 15 years ago or something uh, and he he became like a Boston kind of hero I think he was Bostonian uh, because he was like this complete unknown just working in a bar and then he got like discovered by the Weinsteins mm. and they basically gave him the movie to like direct and then as soon as he got the movie deal he systematically like destroyed every relationship he had and just became such an arrogant egotistical monster that the movie ended up kind of like almost completely evaporating and he burnt pretty much every single bridge he had mm. uh, documentary is pretty amazing just to watch this it, it's like uh, an episode in self-destruction like he just sets about completely trashing his career before it even starts yeah. and I think with Trank it's kind of a bit similar also reminds me of Tony Kay the director of American History X had a kind of a similar thing and, and clashed very heavily with Edward Norton who pretty much finished the film for him and that guy hasn't really worked that much again hmm. um, he tried does to happen- get his name taken off the movie yeah as well. and I have a feeling Trank okay so I think Trank might have even at the end here was like take me off the movie but I don't obviously think I remember when it came out there was still like everyone they were they were all very publicly trying to hold it together and be like mm. oh no no this is we're all working together the- this is the like the press was all very kind well, of positive okay. and like this is the movie that we meant to make so the, the fan Fantastic Four cast appeared at Comic-Con that year along with like all of the um, 20th Century Fox team. So all of the um, X-Men Apocalypse crew and the Deadpool crew and the Fantastic Four crew and I think... I think that was it, and they had they 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 you know they had big beautiful um, uh, photo shoots with you know Jennifer Lawrence and Michael Fassbender, and they were like you know we're all part of the Fox family, and they were really presenting it like this is a shared universe hmm. that will rival Marvel. Ra- Rival Marvel. Marvel. And, yeah, like, Brian Singer had been like, yeah, sure, we'll do a crossover with them if it works. Like, Fantastic Four X-Men crossover could work. Then then they announced that the critics wouldn't be screened the film. And then in all of the the press that Miles Teller and Kate Mara were doing, they hadn't seen the movie. They were like, we haven't actually seen it. They won't show it to us. So that was when the internet started going, oh boy, yeah. okay, and then it sort of, yeah. So when, when they don't screen it for the actors or the... Or the uh, if only if like, they were like, oh, we, they sent us like DVD copies, but uh, I haven't got around to it yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I've got a long Netflix queue, I've got a... <laughs> so it's been nominated for five Razzies, Razzies, Worst Picture, Worst Director, Worst Screenplay, Worst Prequel, Remake, Rip-Off or Sequel... 
and worst screen combo, all of them. But none of the actors got I'm any... I'm glad act- they were spared. I do. I am too. I, and so here's the thing. Like, then they, they sort of didn't announce a sequel straight away. And they were like... Because they had originally planned a sequel. They've now taken the sequel off the roster. It doesn't look like anything is going to happen. I they almost to- think they could reboot it with the same cast. They could get a new director... And a just a new creative team, and just not do an origin story, and kind of just pretend that movie didn't happen, but keep the same actors and do like a new Fantastic Four story, and just completely redo it like a like a soft reboot. Yeah, well, I, I mean, reckon it could almost work. But d- 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 there's nothing wrong with that the cast. Same thing with Deadpool. Like same yeah. same actor, but just obviously going to ignore everything about Wolverine or Origin. So yeah, yeah. And Days of Future Past was also. Mm. Well, I mean, I guess first class, but like they've kind of done a soft reboot with the X Men. Exactly, like with across the same first actors. class and Days of Future Past using the same actors. Yeah, so, I mean they they yeah. have to they have to have a movie in development, otherwise they lose They'll the lose rights. Right. Yeah. yeah. So after this, there was a lot of talk about like the Fantastic Four needs to go back home to Marvel and Marvel needs Marvel Studio needs to have full creative control over all of the rights of all of their characters and this was happening right, right around the t- same time that Marvel did a deal with um, Sony over using Spider-Man in, in the Marvel Universe mm. my and we can talk we don't have to get into this right now but I feel very strongly that just because it's with Marvel does not mean it's in good hands mm. yeah. like there is no reason to believe that 20th Century Fox can't make a good movie. They've made great X-Men movies up until now. Deadpool is looking really good. Like, so there's no... And actually putting all of your eggs into the Marvel basket, and I'm the first Marvel apologist. Like, I love Marvel Studios and I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I completely admit that that doesn't mean they make 100% great movies all the time. And if they get full creative control, that could be really bad in the long term. Like... What if they just go down the toilet? All of those characters are going to be lost. I don't yeah. know. I kind of think diversifying it is a good thing. They also don't need Fantastic Four until at least post Phase Three. Like they've got the yeah. the Marvel Universe, the Marvel Cinematic Universe yeah. is crowded enough as it is that yeah. they don't. There's no reason to try and squeeze the Fantastic Four in. Like the, they wouldn't need it. The only thing that Marvel could do is really just strip mine it for its bad guys. Like, they'd use Doctor Doom, yeah. they'd use yeah, Galactus. They, yeah, Doom use... would actually be a really good addition yeah. to the cinematic universe. Yeah, I, I agree completely, yeah. Oh, speaking of Doom, uh, so his plan in, in this movie yeah. was... Does he have one? I guess he, he does, does have one. So have he plan. wants to destroy the Earth completely so that he can have his new planet, Planet Zero, which has a population of just himself, which seems to me... And his goo buddies. So, and, and, and some he's rocks. He's goosing his rocks, yeah. Some goo, his, goo little, rocks. his little um, uh, kind of labour labor, labor rocks. Yeah, but his, his, his character in the comics, like, they all change a lot, but a consistent thread is that he's a megalomaniac. So he's like a dictator, and part of the whole thing of being a dictator is like you enjoy having absolute control over a population of people. Not just like exterminating everyone mm. it just seems weird that doom would choose on this side like killing absolutely everything and just like being alone on this nothing yeah. planet rather than some kind of like rule the world scenario i i don't know it yeah. just first seems and foremost weird. doom always wants to rule that's yeah. usually his thing i mean he's a, he's, a, he's like the emperor of latveria like yeah. that's that's he part considers of his himself core superior identity. to the rest yeah. of the human race and he considers thing. himself to be a good ruler as well yeah. like he he considers himself to be doing the best thing for the latverian people and uh it's it's just it's it's hard to imagine 
Yeah, I think I think it's it's a dull take on Doom to just have him after just killing everything just because just because he's spouting some vague anti-American rhetoric. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't really rate it. The, for me, the, the film really um, fell apart. In the Doom was a major major mm. problem of this movie, amongst many. But um, I can't really say that I, I can rate his plan because he didn't really have much, and it just—I don't like it when I'm just kind of confronted with a new idea very late in a film, as you probably know. So I, I just, yeah, no, I can't really rate it. It it wasn't a plan it was just he happened to be a villain who had bad powers who wanted to hurt people and they had to stop him and it it was very it was for me that and the fact that the the characters never talk to each other were the Mm. two biggest problems of this movie was doom and the fact that they're not a family at all yeah Um, those are the two there are lots of other problems but they're the two big ones not even a team like they're not yeah exactly they they just have no interaction and it's one of the things that just makes the film so limp. Like, I genuinely enjoyed Fury more than this because at least every now and then there'd be something completely silly that I could laugh at. Whereas with this, there was just just absolutely nothing going on. Mm. Like, as I said, it's like it is like a montage without the music and mm. all the dialogue left in, except all the scenes are going for like two yep. or three minutes. It's like the conversation between Miles Teller and Kate Mara about like. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and then about pattern recognition. But it's not even a conversation. It's, yeah, it's just like a couple of weird stilted lines. Yeah. It is kind of like something you'd overhear. It's... it's The dialogue is... It's just... It, it accomplishes nothing. Yeah. Like, there's no... There's no great character moments. There's... There's no great... Even... even there's not, not even really any exposition. No. Like, I think uh, another weird conversation they have is the exposition for Sue being adopted. But... I don't really think you needed a that's whole where he scene says of exposition. Her, that's where she says, I'm adopted, and he says, I know what that's like, and she says to him, are you adopted? And he said, no, but I wish I was. You don't say that to an adopted yeah. kid. You don't know what that's like. No, right? you literally yeah, don't. tone deaf from Reed there, but uh, I also don't think they really needed exposition. I mean, yeah, one's black, one's white, dad's black, adopted, or foster. Yeah. Like, you can kind of put that together in your head. Like, I don't yeah. think they needed to spell out Exactly. But the racists online need to know. They need to know. But it's kind of like, I think they did it well in Thor. Heimdall's a black Viking god. We've been talking about this really bad movie for a long time. Yes. (laughs) Thank you for sticking with it. Thank you for sticking with with us. Look, do we recommend people watch it? No. No, I don't. No. No, Not even even as like an interesting wreck because me, just read about read about the drama on the internet maybe skip don't, to that one bit where it. after they wake up post explosion yeah like, uh, that's a good bit I, I just I love it but that's because I'm a, I'm just weirdly obsessed with like movies that go wrong and mm. so like for me it's a great movie but go look at the b-roll yes yeah. go look I'll, up the I'll post that online. as well oh my god the b-roll has footage of the, the fantastic car which is obviously a part of it mm. is not in the movie at all yeah. we really love to, to read the original script I yeah reckon. All right. Uh-huh. Next week will be a bit of a better movie. Should we do some quick plugs? Uh, yeah. Um, I'm an improviser. Go see me at shows. Listen to me on 3mbs.org.au. And lastoptionaware.com is my other podcast. That is very, very quick. We're at TCA Pod on Twitter. Yep. And we're on Facebook. Bye. Cheers, guys. Bye. Bye.